Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Alyssa. Uh, it's now time for me to qualify for 20 minutes. Uh, the timer will tell me with five minutes uh, to go. It's 12.35 my time. I'm in Canada where it's much colder than it is where you get, most of you guys are. So 12.35 plus 20 is 12.55. Okay. Um, I'm Laurie. Uh, I am a compulsive overeater. I first joined this fellowship uh, February the 11th of 1986. Uh, so that's uh, 36 years ago. Uh, my abstinence date uh, will be May, well, was uh, uh, May 1st, 1993. So as of May 1st of this year, it will be 29 years of not just abstinence, but of not wanting to return to that which I was addicted to uh, and which caused me uncontrollable cravings. And I want to talk about that for a moment because my first seven years in this fellowship um, of relapse in and out of recovery and relapse and recovery and relapse were caused mostly, not completely, by my not understanding that for each of us there is a different kind of craving created or the same kind of craving but a different kind of stuff that creates the cravings in us i followed my sponsor who told me that his problem was eating overeating and that what he would use for abstinence would be not compulsively eating and that worked for him uh, and I went on a diet. I followed a weigh and pay plan uh, that I'd been on before. It was a very good diet in those days. The current version of it is not quite the same and not as good. And every time, and I would lose my weight. I'd work the steps. I'd feel great. I'd lose my weight. And then I'd go on what they called maintenance. And maintenance allowed me um, a little bit of the comfort foods that the diet had not allowed me. As I recall correctly, it, it was a half a donut uh, or, uh, or two cookies or there was a, a scoop of ice cream and very major instructions on how to scrape it off so it was absolutely uh, horizontal once a week. One, one of those three things once a week. And every time I did that, both on the diet I had been on in the way and pay plan and in a way, um, I began... Uh, doing that religiously, as it were, uh, and then gradually uh, escalating it to and, and, and then the scoop became more, you know, round, and then I was eventually eating out of the tub of, of ice cream, plus eating the cookies and the donuts and all the other stuff, uh, given up. And then I went back to the steps, and I kept on thinking, I wanted to believe that what every diet I had ever been on was true and said was true. And that is that I could eat anything as long as I ate it in moderation. And that's what I heard. And that's what I heard at the meetings I went to. And that's what I heard from my sponsor. And for about seven years, that's how I, I lived. Dieting, then eating the comfort food after I lost the weight and then going back to the, to the uh, illness. And I was going through a lot of 
difficult times. I, I thought I had solved my problems. I went to therapy. Uh, I learned that I was a workaholic. I learned that I had to change jobs. I did. I had a, uh, a job where, where I could run to work and there was a shower and a sauna there and it wasn't that uh, it wasn't taking time away from my family. Uh, so I could I, I could, it was mile and a half to work. I'd run I'd shower. I could eat whatever I wanted. That would solve my problems. And I just gained more and more weight. And um, it was it was very, very difficult for me. Um, I would go to meetings and uh, people would say, how are you, Laurie? I'd say, fine. They'd say, great, great to see you. Always love to hear you talk. Um, and everything was fine. Until one day I came to a meeting. It was a Saturday morning. I wish I knew the exact date, but I remember I was standing and before the meeting, a woman came up to me, the shyest woman in the room. And she came and she told me later she had, she had uh, uh, prayed for two weeks before she did this. And she came up to me and she said, how are you, Lori? In the same way that everyone else had been asking me. I said, fine. And she came right up to me. And I, I know I've you know acted this up for some of you, but she came like this. She said, I mean, really? And I just, I, I remember sort of this reaction, sort of like, well, how am I really? And I said, I'm in terrible shape. I'm relapsing. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm eating more. Um, what should I do? And she sat down with me after the meeting for about an hour. And every day after that, for a few months, I called her with my gratitude list. And she gave me a book that she had prepared, actually for a sponsor who didn't show up, um, a book of some prayers to say and a place to write down my gratitudes. And I began to improve my attitude. I was asked then by a guy to sponsor him. And I met with him. And I'll never forget meeting with him and where we met and all that. And I said, oh, tell me about yourself. He said, well, I've been sober in AA for 15 years. And I said, I've never been sober in OA for that, not even half that long or a quarter that long. Um, uh, what do you do? And uh, well, you may have heard my story before. Some of you and he said, I read the, the big book. I said, oh, great. I read the big book, too. He said, no, I, I read the big book. I said, well, I read the big book, too. I have, you know, underlining and yellow highlighting. And, and then he explained that he, he was studying the big book as a method of working the steps. And I had not done that with my previous sponsor, with any of the sponsors I had. We used the big book and there were parts of it that we did use, but it was not as if we studied the book as a set of directions for doing it. I don't want this to become an advertisement for big book because I have many, uh, even though from my point of view, it is the way I recovered. I, I have many friends uh, in this fellowship uh, whom I admire beyond, beyond compare who haven't used the big book to recover. It's the 12 steps that we do it. But I found my path to the 12 steps through the big book. But the one thing that I do want to emphasize is that what the big book spends a lot of time on and is also found in our OA 12 and 12, pages 2, 3, and 4, and also in our in our pamphlet, the, the new pamphlet called The New Plan of Eating that incorporated dignity of choice, is that I had to realize that once I started indulging in certain foods and or eating behaviors, I developed cravings that overwhelmed my will. That once I started, I could not stop despite my wanting to. 
despite my saying this will be the last one, it was never the last one. It was not always the last one. That I couldn't stop. I would say this will be the last one. This will be the last one. And the food would keep coming to my mouth and I couldn't do it. And that image of these overwhelming cravings that could overpower the will was something I would not accept. I didn't want to accept it. Uh, because it went against all the diets I had ever been on, and it went against actually what my first sponsor told me. Um, but once I accepted that notion that was first propounded by Dr. William Silkworth um, in a in a, uh, a paper he wrote in 1930, uh, published 1934, 35, and then uh, part of it, uh, and in the doctor's opinion, was that there was something abnormal about my body, that there were some things I indulged in that once I started, I could not stop. In a way, we are a spectrum fellowship. Not, not, I mean, some of us, and my wife thinks that I am partially on the spectrum too, but I, I don't mean that kind of spectrum. I mean the spectrum between behaviors, like, like gambling behaviors, codependencies, and things of that sort, addiction to that, and specific substances like Alcoholics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous, we are, we are, we run the gamut. Some of us may have simple eating behavior, simply eating behaviors that are too much for us. That once we start, we can't stop. My sponsor, my first sponsor, I think was like that. He he could eat anything as long as he ate it without compulsively overeating it. And for him, the steps were the way by which he achieved freedom from that. Uh, there are bulimics and anorexics um, and compulsive overeaters. Who, binge eaters who might have that eating behavior, each of those eating behaviors, as behaviors which once they start, they cannot stop. On the other hand, there may be people of specific substances or individual foods that they can't eat. Uh, for many of us, and maybe for most of us, and certainly for me, it was a combination of eating behaviors and specific substances and specific foods, and for me especially, a combination of ingredients fat and salt, fat and sugar, uh, that those were my two biggest problems when I looked at that, high fat products made with fat and made with sugar. Whatever it was, that wasn't my real problem. And that's the other brilliant thing that is found in the big book and is carried on into our own fellowship through the OA 12 and 12. And that is that if I accept that my body in some way, shape or form reacts differently, and, and uh, let me say, when it comes to behaviors, whether it's gambling behaviors or, or other kinds of behaviors or eating behaviors, there may be nothing physical there, biological or chemical. But it is the same as if it were biological or chemical. It is the kind of reaction that 30 years of therapy would never change for me. You know, my problem may have been uh, that and my mother always felt guilty that when she was nursing me, the medical wisdom of her time was that every four hours, not on demand. And she said there were there were times when I would be screaming for three hours, wanting to nurse, and she wouldn't wasn't allowed to nurse me. Who knows what innate um, feelings I got from that that caused me to want to eat constantly, which is my eating behavior. One of the eating behaviors I have to stop indulging in, I have to abstain from indulging in, which is keeping my mouth busy all the time, going for oral gratification all the time. And I have to stop doing that because that was an eating behavior that caused me volume issues. 
So I don't care whether it's really physical. It is the same as physical. In the same way that the gambler can't stop gambling away their life savings or whatever it is. I don't want to talk about serotonin or more, you know, whatever. I don't care what it is. I just know once I start, I can't stop. And that I have to abstain. So if I know I have to abstain, if I know that I cannot safely indulge in certain eating behaviors and certain foods and certain combinations of foods, the brilliance of the big book carried into the OA 12 and 12 is that that's not my real problem. I wear glasses to read my, to look at my computer or to read. I don't suddenly say, well, I've been really good for a couple of years now wearing glasses. Now I don't need to wear glasses. I accept that I have this visual uh, disability. I accept that at the age of 76, I can't do the things, I, I joke, I can do the things, I can do better than some of the things I could do before I joined this fellowship because I'm in better shape than I used to be. But I really don't have the same resilience that I used to have when I was 40 or, or 35. I accept the reality of my body and my real problem and the real problem that 12 steps address is that I cannot will my mind to remember not to indulge in the things that I am abstaining from. That's my real problem. I will find some excuse, some reason that seems reasonable at the time to say, oh, you can have some. Just a little click in my mind. I can't, I can't, I can't have some okay. And that click in the mind is the mental twist that's discussed in the big book, the mental obsession, that the 12 steps do away with. That's the sanity that's promised in step, uh, in step two. The sanity uh, from the spiritual awakening that's promised in step two is that I will end up with a mind that remembers, this is bad for you. Do not indulge in it. No matter what reasons you have, no matter what traumas you may have had or you may be having, no matter what excuses you used to have, this is bad for you. Don't indulge in it. And that applies to behaviors, it applies to specific foods, it applies for me for uh, combinations of ingredients. The brilliance of the steps is that we go sideways from our real problem. We come with an addiction, we, we recognize this addiction, we don't know what to do about it, and they say, and we say, well, give me group support or give me, you know, some help to, to keep on, on my diet, to keep, you know, from eating the stuff I need, and the answer doesn't lie there at all. The answer lies, as the big book describes it, in the reality that deep down within us, there are deep, deep values which we cannot justify through logic. They are the values that we may have grown up with or that we may have adopted that are expressed by religious terms. They may be values that are, um, that, that are just what we think is decent or human, but they are the things we most believe in. And when we live in our addiction, we're living contrary to what we believe in. And we have blocked off our God, our higher power, our deepest values. And what the steps do is get rid Excuse of Excuse me, the that's blockage. five minutes left. Thank you, Melissa. What, we, um, what the steps do is relieve us of the blockage. They are the things, they, they are what allow us to be in harmony with our heart, 
where we what we most deeply believe in in our heart whether it's a specific kind of god or just the kind of deep values that i have i don't have a specific deity or belief in any kind of deity at all but i believe in some things truth and love and justice and beauty and there's a pipeline between my heart and my head and there's a blockage there was a blockage there and about 29 years ago that blockage was removed by working the steps and once I started to abstain from what I knew I had to, my job was then to clear the blockage between my heart and my mind so that what flowed from my heart was living in my mind. How did I do that? I worked the steps. And what did the steps tell me to do? To look at how this blockage had harmed my ability to help other people, had harmed my relationships with other people, and to make amends for them by saying, I want to be a different person and I have to make up for what I've done in all kinds of ways. But steps four through nine are that process. And once I did that, I was released. I could look at all the things that used to beckon to me and say, why would I eat this stuff? It's poison for me. If I got an anaphylactic shock from shrimp or peanuts, I would be sane and just say, why would I try this stuff? But I never had that with all that other food, but now I do, and I've had that for over 29 years. And what has kept me in that um, frame of mind for these 20, almost 29 years has been the second discovery that I made when I realized what mistakes I'd made for the first seven years of my relapse. The first mistake, the biggest, was that I wasn't abstaining at all. So that's a big mistake. I was eating stuff that I shouldn't be eating. It caused my mind, it caused my body to want more. The second was I did not realize that step 10 required me to do what I did in steps four through nine on a frequent basis to clear my mind. Because as life goes on, I develop the beginnings of blockage. And uh, instead of reading step 10 as saying, I apologize when I, when I do something, I used to yell at my kids, I apologize to them. I do an analysis of what's going on in my life and what was going on in my life at the time I was yelling at my kids, all kinds of difficult things were going on in my family with my wife and her and her and my in-laws whom I loved. And I wasn't dealing with those. I was just yelling at my kids. So understanding that step 10 requires me to do that, to redo what I did in steps four through nine as the, the present becomes the past and I've got a past to deal with was what saved me. But service. Step 12 is what continues to give me the kind of connection that I need and the ability to be able to carry my message to those who still suffer is one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. I instantly have a purpose in life. I instantly give meaning to all the suffering that I have experienced. I've experienced nothing like what many of my friends in this fellowship have experienced, but they have the power to transform the destitution of their lives into powerful messages that anyone can recover. Anyone can have this great gift of recovery from their addiction. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Okay. Um, uh, someone should be reading the 12 traditions. Who will, who will do that? I'll read it. Lillian. Okay. Hi. Whoever that was. Thank you. Here they are. One. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OE group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OE group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you.